This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Man, I am so glad that you're here. It is going to be an incredible day. Welcome, if you are a guest with us today. Uh, My name is Kevin, and I'm going to guide us through our journey together. If it's your first time here, or if you have been gone for a while and you've missed out, uh, let me tell you, you are coming in at a perfect time, because I believe that we are in the middle of what can only be described as the best summer our church has ever experienced together, where we're just learning all kinds of things about God and about ourselves, and and basically the the premise for this summer came from a conversation that Jesus had a couple thousand years ago with a guy. The guy asked him, how can I have eternal life, which is a life of purpose and passion and vision here and now, and then how can I have life with God in eternity? So after I die, how can I have a full life there? Jesus said this, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, so basically with your essence, with everything in you, and you love your neighbor the way you love yourself, then you'll experience a life worth telling stories about. Then you'll experience eternal life. Then you'll have the kind of life that you were created to live, where you you know God and you're known by God, and there's this amazing relationship happening. And so we've just been exploring that this summer. We've been exploring ways to love God and ways to love people. And I asked our church to do something for me, just for 12 weeks. Not forever, unless you really get excited about this after this 12 weeks is up, but But just for 12 weeks, could we just take God at his word? And whatever he says to do, we just want to do it. We just want to try it. We want to love him in crazy ways we never have before with all kinds of of, uh, tools that he's given us. And then just see if God gives us that life that he created us for. And one of the things that we're doing, which is really fun, uh, in the seat backs in front of you, you see these Summer of Love half sheets. Each week we're going out and we're just trying to love. Love in these ways that we're talking about. And then we're writing our stories down on these half sheets of paper and sticking them on the wall tomorrow. I write. And I think we have about 152 separate stories of people loving each other, loving the city, loving people around the world, loving their spouses, their kids, loving God. It's been really cool. What I want to do is I'd love to get us to like 700 or 750 in the next six weeks. So uh, if you have a story, share a story because people are encouraged. I'm watching folks after church just come up and read these stories. Even if you failed, listen, I probably had more fails than any of you have at trying to love people. So even if you fail, write down your failure because it makes people like me feel better about the fact that we fail. So write down your stories. We'll stick them up on the wall. Uh, The other thing that I want everybody to do is grab out of your programs a few things. This card that says start here. It's our connection card. Uh, This is a key way for us to connect with you, you to connect with the community, and ultimately for you to connect with God. So if you would fill this out, that'd be great. We ask everyone to do it every week. So all you regulars, you're grabbing this right now. You're filling it out. If you're new with us, would you just give us as much information as you're comfortable with? We won't abuse it. We just want to help you connect with the community, help you connect with God if that's something that you would desire. And if you're a guest with us today, uh, I know it can be a little intimidating coming into a new place, singing songs. Maybe you've never done communion. Maybe you don't sing outside of the shower and that was a new experience for you. I just want to say thanks. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us. Thanks for engaging with us. Uh, Before you leave here today, we have a gift for you as our way of saying thanks for joining us today. No strings attached. You don't even have to come back, although we'd love to have you come back. So there's a lobby that runs, there's a kiosk that runs down the center of our lobby. It's got these bags on it. They say guest gift. There's really cool stuff. Make sure you grab one on your way out. The other thing you want are your teaching notes. 
They'll tell you the scripture we're going to be talking about today, give you some fill-in-the-blanks, and give you something to take home with you to be putting this stuff into practice this week. Uh, And like I said, we're in a great summer. We really are. We're talking about five ways to love God and love people. We're talking about things like uh, loving God through our words, through our time, through our service, through touch. How can we love God and love people through physical touch? And then how can we love God and love people through gifts? And today we're talking about how we can love God through gifts. And so we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics to talk about as a pastor. Uh, We're going to talk about money today. So I know you're excited. I'm excited about it. And here's the great thing for you if you're a guest and you're not a Jesus follower. You do not have to do anything I say, which feels pretty good. You can just sit there and say, that's what Christians talk about with money. That's why Christians talk about generosity. Oh, that's how how money and love kind of play together. But then you don't have to do anything with it if you don't want to. So if you're a guest with us today and you're not a Jesus follower, you get a free pass. Just enjoy yourself today. You can elbow your Christian friend next to you and say, ha ha, you have to do that. Uh, but I don't. But here's what I would say. I'm guessing at the end of this, even if you're not a Jesus follower, there's going to be some truth in here that you think, I think there's something to what we're talking about. We're talking about, about money. And uh, 11 months ago, I was jogging and I was listening to a sermon from a guy in the South. And he talked about money and, um, and something he said really struck me. And I thought, I need, to, I need to preach this part of this sermon or some of this sermon to our church at some point. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that today. And I think next year, I'm going to turn this into a whole sermon series that we're going to go through. But basically, his premise was this. He said, most people in our country do not know how to be rich. They're not good at being rich. And he said, then the church doesn't help because the church swings the pendulum two ways when it comes to money. Either the church says money is bad, and if you have money, you're bad, so give all your money away. Or we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and say, if you really love God, if you really have faith, then you'll become rich. You'll have a lot of money. You'll drive a Bentley. You'll basically be in a rap video for your entire life. So no money. Money is bad. If you have money, you're bad. If you're not in a rap video, you're not really following Jesus. That's the pendulum that the church kind of gives us. And my goal for us this morning is that, and, and I know none of us is rich, okay, I know that, but if you ever become rich, my goal for us this morning is that you would be a good rich person, that you would be good at being rich, because most Americans are bad at being rich. I want us to be good at being rich. I want us to love God as rich people if if God blesses us and allows us to become rich at some point. Because wealth has some pretty interesting pitfalls and unintended side effects. Because here's what I see about rich people, and, and again, none of us is rich, but here's what I see about rich people. Okay, rich people are weird. Here's what I mean. Rich people live in denial. So like tall people, they'll tell you, I'm, I'm tall. Yeah, I'm tall. I'm proud of it. It's one of my spiritual gifts. I'm 6'1". I'm tall. My wife is 5'3". She is short. She will tell you, I am short. Um, athletic people will tell you they're athletic. Introverts will tell you they are introverted. Extroverts can't wait to tell you they're extroverted. They just, they like, they write it on their forehead. But rich people will, will never tell you they're rich. Oh no, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not rich. It's interesting that I would say this probably about us too. None of us in here feels rich, but everyone knows someone who is rich, right? I'm not rich, but I know rich people, but I, I'm not that. And then I did some research and I, I found out that if you make forty to $45,000 a year as a household, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world, okay? So again, none of us is rich, but if we ever become rich, I want us to be good at being rich. So if you make forty to $45,000 a year, you're in the top 1% 
of wage earners in the world, around the globe. Think about that for a second. Here's the other thing about rich people. Rich people are plagued with discontentment. It's a side effect of being rich. Because the more money someone has, generally speaking, the more stuff they want to acquire. And the more stuff they want to acquire, the more stuff they feel like they need to acquire after that. Because stuff is kind of like this appetite that's never satisfied. We always want more of it. And the more money we have, the more stuff we can buy. And the more stuff we buy, the more stuff we want to buy. So, so I've heard of rich people doing some really weird stuff. Like rich people will, will get in their car that runs fine, that works well. They'll drive onto a car lot where there are other cars. Then they will leave their car there with a whole bunch of money. They'll give their money away, and then they'll drive off with another car that does pretty much the same thing as the car they drove on with. Have you, have you heard of people doing this? This is like rich people do crazy stuff. Rich people will walk into their kitchen, and it'll have a nice sink and counters and, and a, a, a dishwasher, and they'll tear it all up, and they'll throw it all out, and then they'll replace it with like a nice sink and counters and a, a dishwasher. I've heard of rich people walking into a closet, opening it up, and it's full of clothes, and, and they'll say things like, I have, I have nothing to wear. Right? Rich people are weird because they have work clothes and after-work clothes and workout clothes and, and uh, leisure clothes, and they have clothes they wear if they haven't worked out for three or four months. Like, they have, they have all kinds of clothes. I've heard of, I've heard of rich women, and, and you're laughing because you can't even believe they would do this. I've heard of rich women who, who have like 10 or 11 or 12 pairs of shoes shoe, for one pair of feet. Rich, rich people are weird. Rich people have—I've heard of this. Maybe you have too. They have houses— for their cars. Houses for their cars. So they have houses for their kids, and they have houses for their cars. Rich people do weird stuff. Rich people are plagued with discontentment, and so they always want more and more. And all I'm saying is if we ever become rich, because we're not, but if we ever do, my goal for today is we will learn how to be good at being rich. And in the book of Timothy, there's a guy named Paul who wrote the most of the New Testament. And if you don't like Christians, you don't like Christianity, you're not a fan of God, you should listen to Paul. Because Paul was raised not liking Christians, not liking Christianity, not liking Jesus. In fact, he killed people who were Christians. And then at one point he had an encounter with God. It changed his paradigm. It changed what he thought about life and people and and Jesus and the church. So if you have a hard time with the church, listen to Paul. He's a good guy to start with because he was like you are. And Paul's talking to this young pastor named Timothy about what it looks like to be a good rich person. So here's, here's what it is. And just in case we ever become rich, I just want us to kind of process through this so we could, we could maybe learn how to be good rich people if God takes us that direction someday. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, command those who are rich in the present age. So talk to rich people and tell them, do not be arrogant and do not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. First thing he says is don't be arrogant. Have you ever been around a, a rich person who just is kind of arrogant? And you don't know if they were arrogant and then became rich, or they were rich and they got more arrogant. You can't really figure out which came first, but it seems like as their, as their wealth goes up, their knowledge goes up, at least in their own mind. And so you're around them, and they're telling you all sorts of things about life and money and economics and this and that, and you just can't wait to get out of the conversation. Paul says, if you get rich, for whatever reason, it could have been because you were smart, could have been because you're lucky, could have been because you were born into it, or, or, or it could be that uh, you just you stumbled onto it one day, an invention or something, and you just you became rich. He says, however you become rich, don't be, don't be arrogant. 
Don't assume that because you're rich, you're smarter than everybody else. Don't look at people who aren't rich and say, well, if they just did what I did, then they'd be rich. That's arrogant. Paul says, don't, don't do that. Don't be arrogant. He says, and don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And here's why I think Paul says this, because I've noticed it's our tendency to allow our hope to migrate towards money and away from God. As a culture, it's our tendency to allow our hope to migrate towards money and away from God. And the more money we have, the greater the temptation is for our hope to migrate towards money and migrate away from God. And we actually see this all around us because we live in one of the richest counties in the country, Sonoma County. And something you might not know is we live in one of the least churched counties in the country as well. And I believe that among other things, part of the reason is as our, as our money went up, our need for God went down. As our, our county got more money, we put our hope in riches, our hope migrated towards money, and it migrated away from God. And so he says, don't put your hope in money because it's uncertain. And I want to do a little experiment to see. Uh, I want to ask you a question. And before I wrote this sermon, I actually am pretty good with computers. So I hacked into all of your bank accounts. So I know exactly how much you all make. Uh, And so I know the answer to this question for every person in this room. I know the answer to this question. Here's the question. And it's a personal question. So don't shout it out to me. Those of you who are like Pentecostals or just can't wait to shout it out. Don't shout it out to me. This is not an amening moment. Okay. Personal question. How much money would you need to accumulate to protect you and your family from every imaginable eventuality in life? How much money would you need to protect you and your family from anything that could possibly go wrong? Here's the answer, because I I looked into your bank accounts and I know. Here's the answer. More than you currently have, right? You would need more than you currently have to protect yourself from everything. He says wealth is gives us an illusion of security. And we all think if I just had, and you name the money, you name the dollar amount, if I just had that much money, then I'd be protected from anything that could happen. And Paul says, no, no, Timothy, tell the people, even if they had all the money in the world, it would not protect them from the eventuality of sickness and death. And most likely it won't protect them from anything else. So he says, don't put your hope in riches which fool you into thinking that you're secure and you're safe. Instead, put your hope in God. See, money cannot ultimately save us. And the author of Proverbs is praying a prayer to God, and he talks about money. Here's what what the author says, which I think is brilliant. He says, God, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise... I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? I think that's what happened over generations in our county. And I'm not one to throw stones, okay? But I think as, as money went up, our hope migrated towards money and away from God. And now we look around and people are saying, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? If I get sick, I just use my insurance and my money and I go to the doctor and I get better. If my car breaks down, I don't need a community to help me fix it. I just go to the mechanic and I turn and give him my card. I give him my money and he makes my car work better. I am the Lord. I can fix all my problems. I can take care of everything. So the author says, don't give me either too little money. He goes on to say, or else I'm just going to steal and that's not good. And don't give me too much money because if you give me too much money, my hope will migrate away from God and towards my wealth until someday I will say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? 
And here's why this is so important for us. I believe that where our hope goes, our love follows. We're talking this summer about loving God deeper and more passionately than we ever have. And when it comes to money, when it comes to life, where my hope goes, my love follows. Jesus came along and he said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He said to us, where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. He says, where your, where your money is, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Where our hope goes, our hearts will follow. And our hope has a tendency to migrate towards money and away from God. Do you ever wonder why pastors talk so much about money? It's not to make you feel guilty. Listen, we're in church. Who would ever go to church to feel guilty? Some of you left church 20 years ago and never came back because church made you feel guilty. Church is not supposed to make you feel guilty. Here's why pastors talk about money so much. One, Jesus talked about it, and Jesus talked about it because he knows that where our hope goes, our hearts follow. And he knows that most of us did not wake up this morning thinking, I wonder, should I go and worship Jesus today at church, or should I go and worship Satan today? Right? That was, I'm guessing that was not your question. Jesus or Satan? What should be my big holiday? Christmas or Halloween? Which one am I going to pick? You know, it's like, oh, the tension. No, we, we didn't do that. The greatest competitor for our heart is not Satan. We don't want to go kill cats and worship Satan. One of the greatest competitors for our heart is money. Is money. And so Satan uses money, especially in rich areas, to pull us away from God. Until we get to one day when we say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? I believe, I believe that we genuinely love God in this church. And I know that we have, in our county, being one of the richest counties in the country, we have this tension more than anybody. Listen, I could tell you to stop sleeping with your girlfriend, that you're not parenting your kids right. I could tell you to stop being a lousy husband. And you say, yeah, that's a good thing. When I say to you, hey, we're going to talk about money today, it's like, whoa, I don't want to, whoa, I don't want to talk about money. Whoa, well, you can't tell me about money. Why? Because we have this tendency in our culture to, to let our hope migrate towards money, our security migrate towards money, and our love to migrate towards money and away from God. So I want to give you two statements to think about. And then I'm going to ask you a question from these statements. Again, this is a private thing. There's no elbowing. There's no looking at your spouse. Literally, if you elbow someone, I will call you out in church right now. I have no problem with that. Two statements and then one question. First statement, there is no God. There is no God. You wake up tomorrow and you find out beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no God. You die, you go into the ground, your body decomposes, that's it. That's statement number one. Statement number two, you have no money. You find out tomorrow that you're broke. No house, no car, no assets, and you're never going to get it back. You have no hope of getting your money back. There is no God. You have no money. Which statement creates more anxiety in you right now? If you found out tomorrow there is no God, or if you found out tomorrow you were broke, which one creates more anxiety in you? That'll let you know where your hope is migrated. Now fast forward to the end of your life, and you're hooked up to tubes, and there's a beeping in the background, and you've got family driving in from all over, so you know it must be getting close to the end. Same two statements. There is no God. 
You're going to die in two days, go into the ground, your body's going to decompose, and that's it. Or you have no money. Now, which of those two statements creates more anxiety in you on the last day of your life? I've sat with a handful of people in the last few days of their life. And I can tell you, to a person, every single one was concerned about the first statement. Is there a God? Is that God loving and caring? Does that God want to walk with me in this life and into the afterlife? And if you're sitting here saying, you know what? Yeah, on my last day of life, that's the statement that I care most about. Then I want to ask you this question. Why wouldn't you live that way today? If at the end of your life, what really matters is whether or not there's a God and whether or not he loves us and we love him, then why wouldn't we live that way today? That's what, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. We're going to go back to our scripture from the very beginning in, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6. Remember, he says, command those who are rich in this present world, people who have money. So if you ever want to become rich, he's talking to you. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, and not to put their hope in wealth. Don't let it migrate towards wealth because where your, wealth, where your hope goes, your heart follows. Don't put your hope in wealth because it's uncertain. Instead, hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Why would we put our hope in riches when we can put our hope in a God who richly provides? Why would we put our hope in riches, which are so uncertain? when we can put our hope in a God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment and ultimately in the only one who has any say about what happens after this life. Which begs the question, how can I love God with gifts? I'm glad you asked. By giving to God. By giving to God. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is. If we want to love God with our treasure, we need to give our treasure to God. There's a concept in both the Old and New Testament. Uh, and if you're new to church, man, I'm so glad you're here. This is a new concept for you. It's a concept of tithing. And, and, and tithing started thousands of years ago in the Old Testament and moved into the New Testament. And it comes from an agricultural system where people had fields. And basically they would harvest their fields in sections. And God said, the first 10% of your field that you harvest, I want you to bring the resources from it and give it to me at the local church so that I can bless the people in the community and bless the church through that. And you got to understand, they could only harvest certain portions of their field at certain times. And so this was kind of a scary thing. If I give you the first 10% of my field and I go to bed tonight and a storm comes and it floods out my field, then I'm, I'm ruined. Or if I give you the first 10% of my grain and then a fire starts up in my field tonight, I won't have anything to live off of for the rest of the year. They were thinking questions that aren't unlike the questions we think about when it comes to giving to God. If I, if I give to God first, then what if my car breaks down? What if my kids need braces? What if my fill in the blank. I need to go on that vacation. You know, we have a lot of very serious things to talk about here. But Jesus says, no, it's, it's okay that it's scary. Because what happens is when you give to me first, your hope migrates there. And when your hope migrates there, your heart follows. So if we want to honor God with our gifts, here's what I, I would say from the scripture we need to do. If we want to love God with our gifts, we should work toward becoming priority percentage givers. Priority, percentage, givers. Priority, the first 10% was always given to God. The first 10% before taxes were taken out, before bills were paid, before um, retirement was set up. The first 10% was given to God. And percentage, they set a percentage on it and they gave the same percent every time. If we want to bless God with our money, 
we should be giving him the first percentage of what comes in, and it should be a set amount. The Bible says 10%. Some of us, uh, we give based on feeling, and feeling's not bad, but we should give an amount. Like, some of you come into church, and you think, man, I love that saxophone. There's an extra 20 for today. Or, man, that sermon was a little bit too long. I'm taking out a dollar for every minute they went over. Some of us do that. We give based on how we feel in the day. Jesus says, no, no, that's not how to do it. Set a percent and make it the priority. Remember, our goal for Summer of Love is we want to love God like never before. With everything, everything, everything. And that includes our money. And I think there are three benefits to becoming priority percentage givers. The first is it benefits us. It benefits you. It benefits me because we put our hope back on the one who richly provides. We take our hope off of riches, which are so uncertain, and we move our hope to the one who richly provides everything for us. The second is that it benefits our church, and our community. Some of you know we've been trying to hire a youth pastor recently. And uh, by the way, we have, we found, we had over 60 applicants. We found someone we really liked. We flew him out. We interviewed him. We've offered him a job. And now we're waiting because he's got a couple other offers because he's really good. He's really good. So we're waiting for another two weeks to hear back from him. And you can be praying about that. For years, we've known we need to hire a youth pastor because our junior high and our senior high kids, they matter too much to God. Not just our church junior and senior hires, but the junior and senior hires of our city, they matter to God. We just haven't had the money for it. So finally, Ron and I just said, you know what? We're done waiting for the money to come in. We're going to do some vision casting with some key families, and we're going to ask them to give above and beyond so we can make this happen. And because of your generosity, we're able to do that. We're working that process out, which is really good. But I want to say this. When we give to the church, it benefits you. It benefits your kids. It benefits your kids' friends. It benefits um, all kinds of things. There are other positions we need to fill. Did you know that our elementary age kids down are all staffed by volunteers? Great volunteers, volunteers who love your kids. And we have some of the best children's ministry in, in the city. But we need a pastor over that group to take them to the next level. But we can't do that until we, as a church, become priority percentage givers. It'll bless the church, and it blesses our city. I don't know if you know, but we did uh, four times a year. We do a food pantry four or five times a year in the city. We love that. It blesses the city. It gives food out, but we want to do that more. We can do that as you give more. We can bless our city more. Uh, We support the Committee on the Shelterless, COTS. We give financially for a Saturday food box program for shut-ins and for people right on the verge of homelessness, but we'd like to be able to do more. And we can do that as we give more. So it benefits us individually. It benefits our church and our city And it benefits Jesus' purposes around the world. Because of your generosity last summer, we uh, just found out that we were able to fund a church in India, and that church just got completed last month. So it's very cool. It's our second church we've built in India. Yeah, you can, yeah, it's incredible. I love it. I love it. In the same email that we found out about that, we also found out that there are uh, orphans who they're, they're not wanting to turn away. They've got an orphanage. They don't have enough space for it yet. So this ministry in India needs to expand their orphanage to take in more orphans. They need to expand their school to take in more children. So we're doing great stuff, but man, there's more to be done. And we could bless this world. We could bless Southern India as we become priority percentage givers as a church. As we bless God with our money, it blesses the world. We sent three teams to Mexico. We built two houses. We worked in an orphanage. But we could just go beyond that. We could do more in Mexico. We could love more people around the world. We could unleash compassion everywhere. I just found out about some microfinance companies in third world countries trying to create plots of land for local churches and local pastors and families to be able to be self-sustaining. 
so that they aren't stuck in cycles of poverty, so that their kids aren't faced with a decision of whether or not to finish an education or go to work, or worse yet, get sold into a slave trade. We could do more, but it takes money. So God's plan for that is he says, okay, give to the church and allow the church to flow resources in the church, in the city, around the world. I have some news for us. And it's not good news or bad news, it's just news for us. Right now, in the church, roughly 20% of the families in the church tithe, give 10% to the church. Roughly 20%. Some of you are sitting here thinking, wow, that's horrible. And some of you are thinking, that's great. Listen, it's not either. It's just news. That's about the average for churches in our country. Roughly 20%. We're actually beating the odds a little bit. Roughly 20% of the families in our church give 10% based on the medium household income in Petaluma. So it's not good or bad, but what would happen if 20% more people in our church decided to tithe? So now 40% of our church tithes, which this is when you want to elbow someone and say, I think he's talking to you because that means that 60% of you don't have to tithe. So you got to feel good about that, right? So go ahead, tell me, start tithing. I don't want to. Um, That was a joke, okay? That That was a joke. You can laugh. Just don't do it. Good. Just 20% more of us decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love God with my money. I'm going to keep my hope in God. Our hope would stay squarely on God. Our love would stay squarely on God. We'd be able to fund ministries in the church and hire pastors to lead our community better, reach our community better. We'd be able to, to meet the needs of our city, meet the needs of our world. Just imagine what would happen if we said, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And so I want to I want to lay out an idea for you that comes from the scripture that I think everyone in our church should move towards. I want to challenge you for one year to tithe. For one year. From August of 2013 to August of 2014, the first 10% that comes in, you give back to the church so that the church can flow those resources in our church, in our community, and around the world. And I actually haven't talked to Ron about this or our finance team about this, but I will tell you this. If you do this faithfully for a year, if at the end of this year you know what, you think, God just let me down. I didn't want to do it. I shouldn't have done it. It was a bad idea. Come and talk to me, and I will get your money refunded. I'm not making this up. I will get, unless, unless you make a million dollars this year, I'm not making this up. I will get you re- refunded. Otherwise, we'll, we'll do some debt repayment. Um, no, but I'm serious about that. That's how serious I am. If you do it for a year faithfully, and at the end you think, that was a waste of my money. That was a waste of my money. I'll give you your money back. I'll give it back. So start tithing. Hey, look at that. It's the first Sunday of the month. What a great time to have this sermon. Um, Some of us are here right now, and we can't tithe right now. Maybe because of our own workings, maybe for other reasons, we can't give 10%. Here's what I would say. Pick a percent and make a plan to work towards a tithe. Pick a percent. Give 3% right now of what you bring in, and make a plan in a year and a half, I'm going to give 10% and work that plan. That will honor God. That will bless God, because he knows you're in a process. You can't just give 10% right now. That's okay. Pick a percent now, give it faithfully, create a plan to do it in the future. On the back of your teaching notes, um, you've got a number of ways to put this into practice. And we put it into three categories, crawl, walk, and run. If this is brand new to you, either you're new to the church or you've never tithed or you give every once in a while, the first crawl step for you would be begin tithing now. Just begin tithing. And I know you're like, that's not a crawl step. It is. It is. Biblically, it is. Um, 
But if you can't do that, that's okay too. No stress, no pressure, don't feel bad. The next thing would be if you can't tithe right now, pick a percentage, create a plan, and work towards tithing. Just do it. Now, if you already give 10%, we move down to the walk category. Uh, One of the things you could do is you could increase your giving from 10% by 1% or 2% for this year. That's a, that's a big next step. We just did that in my family. Uh, we just increased our giving by about 2% for this next uh, two years we're doing, or three years actually, for the next three years. Um, and it was big. And I don't say that by way to brag on me. I say that to brag on God. We don't make a ton of money, but man, God is faithful in everything. And now we're able to give like 14% away each year. Just, just give it back to God. And it's been great. So maybe you already tithe and your next step would be to give a little more. Maybe to the church or maybe to a cause close to God's heart. And then there are some run steps. For those of you who generosity is your area of gifting and you just love to give, maybe a huge step for you would be to say for the next year, we're going to live off 75% of our income and we're going to find a way to give 25% of it away. That is radical generosity. That is like game-changing generosity. So maybe that's you. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to stir in your heart, but I, I want everyone to take a step because information, which is what comes in, plus application, which is what we do with it, when it's mixed with God's Spirit, leads us to transformation. And my goal for us is that we would be transformed in the area of our finances and our generosity and our love for God. And a little while ago, uh, I said, on that day, when you know you've only got one or two days to live, you have two questions. There is no God. I have no money. Which one would matter to you most? And if you're here today and you've never wrestled with that question because you're not a follower of Jesus yet, Maybe you're new to the church. Maybe a friend brought you or your spouse brought you. I want you to know everyone wrestles with that question someday. We all get to the end of our life and something in us tells us there is more to come. I don't just go under the ground and rot and decompose. If you've never wrestled with that question, today could be the day to wrestle with that because I want to tell you something. There is a God and he loves you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross in your place to bring about the forgiveness for your sin, which are those destructive things that hurt you and that hurt others and that have separated you from God, and to make a way for you to come back to your heavenly Father. And on that day, if that question is going to be important to you, why wait till your last day of life when you could live with Jesus today? Because I guarantee you God is in heaven right now looking down on you saying, man, make a decision to follow me. Give your life to me. Say yes to me. Walk in relationship with me. And if you're here and you've never done that, we're going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to give you a chance to repeat a prayer. It's a prayer of commitment where you would say yes to Jesus for the first time. And if you sense God is calling you to himself, if that just resonates with you, then today's your day, and you can say yes to him. So would you join me as we pray? First, I want to pray for all of us, because this topic is not an easy topic to engage with. It's an even harder topic to live out for many of us. So Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends in this room that if, if we ever become rich, whatever wealth looks like in our minds, and, and for most of us, we are already there. If we become rich, would you show us how to love you with wealth instead of loving wealth? Would you keep our hope firmly planted on you so that our hearts would follow? Keep us from the trap that so many people tend to fall into where our hope migrates towards our money and away from you. Would you give us the courage to love you with the resources that you have poured into our lives by giving back to you? And would you reveal yourself to us in that process? And as we continue to pray, if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
I got to tell you, God could not love you more than he does right now. And he's just calling you home. He's just calling you home. You can forget about everything else we talked about today, but you need to know this. There is a God. He created you. He knows you. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. If you sense God calling you to himself right now, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. It's a prayer of dedication, a prayer of commitment. You can say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth, that you lived a perfect life, and that you died on a cross. And when you did that, you paid the penalty for my sin. And when you did that, you made a way for me to have a relationship with my heavenly Father. So today I say yes to you, Lord. Would you come into my life? Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. And show me what it looks like to walk every day from this day forward into eternity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision today, man, praise God for that. The Bible says that the angels in heaven are literally, they're rejoicing over that decision that you made. It has changed your eternity and it will change your life today. So I'm so excited for you. What I want you to do so I can be praying for you and connecting with you is if you made that decision today, on the back of your card, it says putting love into action by, and on the bottom one, it says enter into a first-time relationship with Jesus Christ. If you made that decision, would you mark that? Because I want to pray for you. We want to connect with you. You are not alone on this journey. So make sure you do that. Uh, We're going to be collecting these cards in a minute. So whatever decision you're making, a crawl, a walk, a run step, would you mark that so we can be praying for you? Because when it comes to money, it's not just a physical issue. It is a spiritual issue. So mark that down so we can be praying for you. Um, If you have a prayer request, make sure you mark that down. Answer prayer, make sure you mark that down. we are going to be receiving the offering right now, interestingly enough. So if you came prepared to give, um, here's what I would say. Don't give based on emotion. Definitely don't give based on guilt. If you came prepared to give or if you're ready to start this process off, you can use the envelope right inside your program and you can uh, put your tithes and offerings in there and drop them into the basket. Again, if you're not a Christian, here's what you just got. You got a sneak peek into what it means to follow Jesus with our money. Just a sneak peek. Don't feel any obligation to give. Don't feel any pressure to give. This is for us who follow Jesus to have a real conversation about what it looks like to love God by giving him our gifts, by giving him our money. Uh, I did give you the update on Mark. Here's what I'd like you to do. Mark is a youth pastor that we uh, would like to hire. Uh, We've offered the job to him. We'll know in a couple weeks. I'd like you to pray, really pray. Pray for discernment. Pray that God would guide us in this process. Pray that God would guide him. He's got a few other options. So really, God's got to be the one that brings him to to new life. And if he says yes, he'll be starting towards the end of this month, beginning of next month. If he says no, we're kind of starting the search all over again. So if he says no, we're going to go into a time of prayer and fasting uh, as a church community. So if you, if you really like food and you don't like fasting, pray now, because if we don't get him, we're going to be fasting together. So just be aware, if you love food, pray now. Love food, pray now, okay? Make sure you do that. We'll let you know more when we know more. Uh, and thank you to the families who have given above and beyond the tithe to make this possible. And if you, uh, if you just want to be a part of that, uh, come talk to me. We'll tell you more about what we're doing in terms of hiring Mark. Uh, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray for Mark, the youth pastor, and for his family and for this position because it's hugely important for our church. And then folks are going to come forward. They're going to have the baskets. You can put your tithes and offerings in there, your connect card in there. And then please, please, please make sure that you share your stories of what God is using you to do in our community and put those in the basket as well. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you that uh, through the commitment of a handful of families in the church, you're opening a door for us to be able to hire a youth pastor. Uh, Thank you that as we as a church continue to be uh, generous towards you, generous towards your purposes in the church, in the city, and around the world, that that you're going to meet this need uh, for this youth pastor. Thank you that through hiring, uh, we'll be able to reach junior hires and senior highs, not just in uh, New Life, but in Petaluma and in the surrounding areas in a way that maybe no other church in our city has. We're praying for big things for the youth of Petaluma, Lord. Would you be doing that? Would you please guide Mark and his wife Amanda in their process? If New Life is the right church, would you make that abundantly clear to them? And if New Life is not the right church for them, uh, would you make that clear as well? And would you give us um, peace in the not knowing what the next step is, Lord, and clear guidance on what that looks like? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the baskets are being passed. You're dropping in your Connect cards, tithes and offerings, and uh, your Love Does cards. And I do want to highlight two things for you while those are being passed. One is this book, which is changing the face of our church. It's called Love Does by Bob Goff. Basically, it's a supplement to this summer's series. It's been so fun. I've had men, grown men, tell me, man, I have been laughing and crying when no one's looking and crying in this book because it's inspiring me to be a different kind of man. So husbands, pick up this book. Uh, Wives, I've had women tell me, man, this book is just changing the way I parent, the way I look at our community, the way I look at work. This is a great book. We're selling them for 10 bucks at the Activities Hub. Uh, You can't get it cheaper than that on Amazon after shipping. So make sure you grab one of these from us and and start reading. It's really, really good. The other thing is this coming Friday, uh, we are having a bunco night here at the church. To It's a fundraiser for a group that's going on what they're calling a vision trek. So they're doing a huge hike up Half Dome, and they're doing it to raise money for World Vision. So all the money from the bunco night, all the money they raise as they go on this vision trek is going towards World Vision. And I think it's a really cool thing. It's $20 a ticket for the bunco night. So here's what you get to do. You get to take your money and invest it in something close to God's heart, World Vision, and you get to put last week's sermon into practice because you'll have quality time with other people when you come to Bunko Night. So it's like two for one, really. That's how we like to do our church, two for one. So um, buy your Bunko tickets. It's the last day to buy them. Bunko is this Friday, last day to buy them at the Activities Hub, 20 bucks per ticket. I have one more thing to tell you because it's true, and I like to tell you true things. I, I love you guys. I do. I just, I love you guys. I love our church. And I love that we engage on topics like this that are not easy to get into, but are really, really good because they show us how to form our heart to love Jesus. I believe this. I believe this summer is launching us into something pretty incredible coming this fall and then heading into 2014. I've been praying and we've been praying as a staff. God has huge things in store for our church. He's going to use us to reach this city. He's going to use us to reach this area. And part of it is just learning how to honor him with everything we have and everything we are. So thank you guys for being on this journey with me. It's going to be a ride and it's going to be a good one. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you back here next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.